Well, hello, my friends. To tell you it's a pleasure coming to you today on Super Bowl Sunday is just highly uh, an understatement, as you can tell. Um, yes, I am a football fan. Yes, I have a favorite team. I'm not really going to say much about them because I don't want to, you know, ring their bell. Or oh, wait, wait, just a minute. I forgot. Hold on, hold on. This is uh, pretty important. There, there we go. Oh, okay, now, now that's perfect. Uh, that's perfect. Yeah, like I said, I'm not going to make a big deal about the fact that, you know, I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan since I can remember the earliest days of watching television as a kid growing up in San Antonio, Texas. The Cowboys were the team and they're still my team. Um, and they have this shirt commemorates one of five, five Super Bowl victories uh, that the Cowboys have won. Of course, they've played in a few others. Um, and uh, granted, this one was from the 1992 season. I think they played it in January of 93. And um, yes, it was quite memorable. It was a terrific game. And um, then they won the next year. And then Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson had a bit of a falling out. And so they kind of didn't make it the following year. But then they won the, the next year, I think, in 1995, which means they won, you know, three Super Bowls out of four years, which I thought was pretty great. Um, and I know what you're going to say, some of you Dallas Cowboy haters, I'm looking at you, Bill Kashub, whose favorite team is anybody but Dallas. Um, it's been 25 years since they've been there. Yes, I get that. That's a legitimate uh, criticism, so I understand. I understand. But just in case, you know, you weren't sure about uh, who was Bill's favorite NFL team, well, now I think... Now I think you know, and there is a little bit of a NFL Super Bowl game tonight. The Cowboys aren't in it. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but all the, all the same, they're going to go ahead and play it. And um, our local uh, hero, uh, Patrick Mahomes, who is from went to high school right down the street from us in White House, just uh, south of Tyler, uh, is quarterbacking against um, Tom Brady and uh, the Buccaneers. And so I'll kind of leave it at that and tell hello to a few folks. Uh, my dear friend and sister Barbara is there admiring my Cowboys get up, especially the cap. That is an awesome cap, isn't it? I kind of like the cap. Um, and Pat, good to see you. The Granberries, nice to see all of you. And I'm sure that we may have a few others joining in. Uh, and yes, I'm going to teach. I'm going to take off the cap, but I am going to teach in the uh, in the Cowboys shirt. And uh, we'll just see how that, you know, I'm sure that there will be people who will appreciate that more than <clears throat> others. Um so we come to Mark chapter 4 today in our study through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark chapter 4 begins the teaching of Jesus using parables. Um, parables is um, a great teaching tool that Jesus used, as you know, over and over and over again. And, uh, and he used it uh, in, in a great, great way. And so I want us to go through this chapter today, look at the parables that are in Matthew chapter 4, but begin really with uh, kind of some words about uh, the parables. People sometimes had trouble understanding what Jesus was teaching, period. Uh, and then when he told them in parables, uh, it was almost as if he was doing that on purpose. Um, and I think parables, uh, we'll say more about them in just a minute, but in Mark chapter 4, these words from verses 10 through 12, Mark 4, 10 through 12, we'll get back to the first nine verses, obviously. When he was alone, the 12, the apostles, and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, 
But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and now he quotes from Isaiah 6, when Isaiah received his call, saw that great vision. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And we're thinking, what? What? I thought, I thought that was the goal, that they would turn and be forgiven. And so that's a very difficult uh, passage. And uh, the parables are great teaching tools, but they do uh, cloud the message a little bit in a story. So we'll talk a little bit more about that passage in Isaiah 6 uh, that comes on the heels of that incredible vision that Isaiah saw of God on the throne. And then this call to ministry when he says, here am I, send me. Uh, and then God says, well, that's okay, but let me tell you what that's going to mean. And that's where these words come in. That's what Isaiah faced. That's what Jesus faced. Sometimes that's what we'll face. Um, but Jesus uses that to talk about uh, parables. Uh, in other passages, in the book of Matthew, for example, in chapter 12, uh, there's a little bit more teaching about that where Jesus says, you know, I tell them in parables because uh, that's, that's the secret of the kingdom of heaven. And other places where Jesus talks about that. It's not that he's trying to hide anything, but he's trying to help people uh, do a little bit of work and a little bit of effort uh, to see this message, but primarily Jesus does that because he wants them uh, to hear the message of God uh, in a very unique way that has some important characteristics. So let's talk about it for just a moment before we look at the parables in Mark 4. Um, a parable is typically a story. If you want a brief definition of it, that's what it is. It's a story. In fact, some, has, some have said, not original with me by far, but as some have said, it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I think that's a great definition. I think it's obviously really simplistic, and I'm going to say a little bit more about defining what a parable is. But at the same time, there's a lot of truth to that. It is a story that is earthly, but with a heavenly meaning. What do we mean by that? Well, let's, let's go on and talk about it for a moment. First of all, we don't try to interpret all the details in the story, but we ask, what is the point of the parable? I think that's kind of important to ask at any passage. What is the point of this passage? What's the context? What is this, uh, uh, what is this message? Uh, what's the purpose? What's the point? Uh, and that's important. Uh, and not read more in the passage than is actually intended or is there. At the same time, I understand that we can apply passages of Scripture, I think including parables, uh, in, in multiple ways, so long as we're being faithful to the text and faithful to the original meaning and the original point. One of the things about uh, trying to understand a Scripture, it's a process, uh, and I, some call it hermeneutics, where you try to get the message out and uh, understand it, and then homiletics is the preaching of it. Um, but when you're doing that chore of trying to understand it yourself, I think one of the principles that we use in, in Bible study is that a passage of Scripture cannot mean something today that, it, that it's never meant, that it didn't mean back then. In fact, that contradicts what it meant back then. That's when we are abusing the passage, I believe, and trying to uh, apply it to our 21st century uh, situation when actually that's being unfaithful. Uh, to the purpose of 
and the teaching of, of the passage. And I think parables, we have to be very careful in going everywhere, preaching the word, uh, using that verse out of context from verse from Acts 8. Uh, we go everywhere preaching the word using a parable that the parable is not intended to really address at all. And so I think we have to be very careful. And the way we do that is by asking the question, what is the point? Every parable has a point, and the parables of Jesus were very pointed. Sometimes in the scripture, we can read a little bit of an introduction or something that the gospel writer might add at the end of it where it's explained a little bit. Jesus, uh, and for example, in Luke 15, before the great parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son, um, in Luke 15, Luke tells us that because there were some people who were being critical of Jesus for reaching out uh, to people uh, that they considered outcasts and didn't feel like that Jesus was spending his time wisely, uh, Jesus told these parables. Um, and so it kind of gives us a little bit more about the context. It doesn't always happen, and we'll see that uh, in this chapter. Uh, again, so we don't try to interpret all the details. We don't try to find a meaning for every single situation in the parable. Um, and that's really, really important, uh, such as the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, people have gone crazy with that one, trying to say, well, what, what do the robbers mean? What is it that it's, he's in the country? What is it that, you know, all of these things. But really the point Jesus makes himself when he tells the man who had asked, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, and his question was, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Jesus turned that around on him and told the parable. And in doing so, he made his point, which was go and do what the good Samaritan did. Um, that's the point. Uh, and so in the parable, especially the ones we're going to look at today, and especially the first one, the parable of the sower, I'm not sure that's aptly named the parable of the sower. We'll talk about that. But there's a point there. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. Uh, what are some reasons why parables are effective teaching tools? Well, let's share a few of them. Uh, they're very understandable because they're about familiar things. Uh, they were more of an agricultural uh, society, obviously, in first century Palestine. And so for us, as we make that transition, we have some explaining to do about agricultural life in the first century to be able to really understand uh, some of the parables, including the ones we're looking at today, uh, that are set in an agricultural context. But they were very familiar to the people of Jesus' day. Uh, a while back, not very long ago, and you can find it on our website, westerwin.com, under social media and resources. Uh, scroll down to where it says live streaming channel, and then scroll down to where it says video archive. Click on that and go back to my series on the parables. Because I did something I've done before, which is every week as I talked about a parable, I would first tell a modern day story that was kind of a, a 21st century version of what Jesus said with the same message and the same point. And then we would cover the parable from the Gospels. That was a fun series and challenging because the parables are meant to be challenging. They talk about very familiar things, but they challenge us because they call us uh, to react differently than perhaps we tend to react. Um, and so they're very understandable. They're very familiar stories about familiar things and situations. Everybody can understand uh, the parable uh, uh, of the Good Samaritan because we all travel and we all understand what it would be like if somebody tried to rob us while we were on a journey. 
and what it would mean to us if someone actually stopped and helped. Uh, and then we understand the call that we are to be the ones who stop and help. Um, kind of interesting. Uh, the parables are very concrete. They're about very earthy things, very practical, very physical, very everyday uh, things. And the parables, uh, telling a parable is less confrontational. When you tell it in a story, uh, just as the prophet Nathan told David uh, that God knew about his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba and what he had done and how he had tried to cover it up and, uh, and couldn't do so. Well, he, he uh, began by telling David a parable, uh, that story about that man who had one little lamb and it was like a, a member of the family and the rich neighbor came over and took that lamb and killed it so that he could serve it to out-of-town guests rather than taking one out of his own flock of which he had many. Uh, and, and then, of course, Nathan applies it to David and says, you are that man for what you have done. And um, very, very powerful. Well, that's, that's the way parables are. They're, they can confront, but you have to apply them to, to be confronted. And that's what Jesus does. He tells these stories and there's a little bit of humor to them. There's a little bit of, of angst to them. And uh, as he does, he's telling some really confrontational uh, messages. He's making some very, very confrontational points. Um, and he's confronting his hearers. And most more than not, he's confronting the Jewish leaders. But uh, he does it by telling a story. Uh, and, um, and so that's what these parables are. And they're very memorable. I mean, all I have to do is say the Good Samaritan and you remember the story. The parable of the prodigal son, you remember the story. The parable of the sower in the soils. Um, there's a hint of what Bill thinks about the parable. Uh, and, and we remember, we re if you've ever heard them, and most of us that have been around the church for a while have heard them uh, uh, in Bible studies and Bible classes through the years several times, um, we, we know those. We know those are very memorable. One person has said at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness and strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. They're very vivid uh, and they're very thought provoking because Jesus doesn't always apply it. And the gospel writer doesn't always apply it. Sometimes the parable is just told and then it's left out there. And I think that's a very great uh, form of preaching. We're not very comfortable with that because we want the preacher to tell us, you know, what we've always said. Tell them what you're going to say. Tell them what to say it and then tell them what you said. And that's okay. That, that's some of my, a lot of my sermons are, are like that to a degree as well. But there's also another style of preaching where you kind of shroud the application uh, in a story or in uh, a teaching that doesn't come quite clear with the application and you leave the application to your hearer. Well, Jesus does that a lot. Uh, he does that a lot. And he calls on the people to hear it. And the disciples, as we're going to see with this first parable, they don't like that because they want to know. <laughs> they don't understand it either. And, uh, and Jesus is willing to explain it to them and to us. Okay. So enough about what about parables. Let's look at a few. Uh, first of all, what has traditionally been called the parable of the sower. I think it should be called the parable of the soils. And others have said that as well. Because when you ask yourself, what's the point of this parable? I don't think the point is the sower at all. Now, again, like I said, we can make that application. 
And this parable has been used by good preachers and not so good preachers. Certainly, I have used it as well to encourage people to sow the seed. And I, I think that's a legitimate application. It's just not the point that Jesus was trying to make. Because the point that Jesus is trying to make is to ask our, us to ask ourselves, what kind of soil am I? And I think that's his point. Um, Mark 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And then his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. <laughs> what about that last statement, Bill? Well, I think that last statement is Jesus just saying, okay, figure it out. <laughs> Listen to the message from God. Consider it. Think about it. Ponder it. Uh, pray about it, struggle with it, and then apply it. Uh, and and those who are willing to hear, Jesus says, uh, will be able to, to hear it and will be able to get the good out of it that is intended. Um, well, as I said, this parable is actually explained by Jesus after that brief interlude where uh, Jesus uh, talks, answers the questions of the apostles about why do you do this? Um, and applies it from uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Then Jesus said this in verse 13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He thought they could have figured it out. The farmer, verse 14, sows the word. Uh, in Luke's version, I believe, Luke says the, so the, um, the seed is the word of God. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, verse 17, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I think it's interesting that Jesus, like he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you suffer because of my teaching, because of your faith in me, um, here, as he talks about that seed that's thrown along the rocks, uh, he says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Why? Because they have no root, no foundation. Verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so this parable, uh, we get uh, the parable and the explanation. He does that in some other parables as well. He does that in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, which actually Mark uh, and Matthew, uh, or Mark and Luke don't include, uh, but Matthew 13 includes that. 
Uh, and Matthew 13 and Luke 8 are where you find this parable in their respective gospels as well. So the, the sower comes along, sows the seed, some on the path uh, that gets blown away pretty quick. Uh, some in the rocks that seems to grow up right away like a good weed would, but has no foundation, no root. And so when bad weather comes, uh, it burns that up. Uh, other is sown among the thorns and it gets choked out. Um, and then finally, some is on good ground. Well, again, I think the point of Jesus' parable is what kind of ground are you? Are you that good ground that, that can multiply even a hundred times as much? Or are you that seed sown on the path? that's kind of in one ear and out the other. It sounds good and then it's gone. Uh, are you the, the, the rocks? Is that the kind of soil you are where you haven't really laid a good foundation for, your, uh, for this, this word that you're hearing? Uh, Jesus says, look, trouble is gonna come. Persecution is gonna come. There are gonna be times in our lives when having faith is hard. And if we don't have a foundation in the word of God, the seed is the word, remember. If we don't have a foundation in the word of God, then, then we're, the, we're not going to make it. The soil is not good enough if there's no room to make a good foundation. That's the seed sown among the rocks. And the thorns, of course, are the cares of this world. Riches, but not just riches, other things that challenge us because of the worldliness of the world. And, um, and Jesus says, if you get, get caught up in that, then, then you're, you're, what God is trying to plant in your heart is going to die because it's going to get choked out by this double life of trying to be faithful to Christ while trying also uh, to be uh, one who is uh, devoted to uh, the worldliness that we see all around us. And then, of course, there's the good ground, uh, the good ground that, that grows a great crop. Uh, there will be ups and downs in sharing the gospel. I think that's one thing. Again, it's not Jesus' point, but I think we can understand that. As we do uh, sow the seed, uh, and and it gets thrown out on, on different types of soil, and so we don't have to be discouraged. Jesus doesn't ask us to be successful. He just asks us to plant the seed. And a lot of whether it's going to be successful, as we might say, according to the world standards, uh, depends on the ground, not on the sower. It depends on the kind of reception that people give it. And so as Jesus is telling this parable, he's calling on us to ask ourselves that question, what kind of ground am I? Uh, am I willing to give it the foundation that it needs? Am I willing to put away the cares of this world and devote myself, first of all, uh, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? We sang that great song in our uh, assembly this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ. Um, and, and are we going to give it uh, that, uh, that kind of ground and uh, growth opportunity uh, that it calls for? Uh, and so ask yourself today, what kind of soil uh, am I? And I think that's more the point of the parable. And then start throwing that seed um, because we want others to hear that message as well. Um, okay, let's go on. We'll kind of come back to that at the end, but let's uh, go on. Um, getting the message out. That's what Jesus says with several of these par parables. And so this first one is, is something that Jesus shares in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verse 21, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? 
Instead, don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so he's saying, look, let the message get out. You know, don't don't hide it under a bushel. No, as we used to sing in this little light of mine. Well, that Jesus is alluding to that story. Uh, verse 24, care, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more and whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. Well, that's... Uh, that's a, a bit distressing, isn't it? Uh, that that kind of bothers us that that's what would be. But we see that in, in some other parables that Jesus says. Uh, talks about those who have different gifts and some have more than others. And uh, for example, the parable of the talents or the bags of gold or whatever you want to call that. And, and that one talent man, the talent gets taken away from him. And a talent in the first century was a, a sum of money. So I think bags of gold is a good uh, good way to, to express that. Um, but uh, that person's one bag of gold was taken away from them and given to the one who started with five and now had 10 uh, because um, Jesus is saying, look, you've got gifts, you need to use them. Uh, you've got blessings. The reason you have them is to share them with others and to use them to promote the spreading of the gospel. Well, and then there's this passage, uh, this parable of the growing seed, uh, beginning in verse 26 of Mark 4. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. It just grows. The farmer does his work, that's true, but it just grows. Uh, my dear friend and brother, Sean Stamps, had wonderful communion prayers and contribution prayer message today during our worship assembly. And as he did, he, he spoke about uh, the income that he and his family receive uh, from their jobs. And he says, you know, that's not who provides for us. Uh, it's the Lord that provides for us and he's exactly right and i think that's the point of this parable the farmer doesn't get it i mean he does the work uh to help make it happen but ultimately it's it's from god uh, i love this prayer i'm a big jimmy stewart fan and especially in a couple of his movies including the, the movie shenandoah i love that movie and i love that scene where they're at the table and everybody's there and the food is on the table and jimmy stewart is going to offer the blessing and so in that great jimmy stewart voice uh, he's prays something like this, Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> well, sometimes that's our attitude too, isn't it? We don't give glory to God for the blessings that we have. And and I think that's the point of this parable is that, yeah, the, the farmer doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the all the how of this. He just does what he's called to do. And, and the Lord is who blesses us with the good things that we have. I believe it's in James where it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. The good things in our life are there because God has brought them into our lives. Um, and so now a couple of parables about the growing of the kingdom. 
the parable of uh, the growing seed and then the parable uh, of the mustard seed. Mark 4, verse 26. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces the grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So we read that parable again to prepare for these ones that are going to come because all of these parables have to do with this agricultural lifestyle. Uh, verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, verse 33, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. How do you explain the kingdom? How do you explain the growth of the kingdom of God, the sharing and the expansion of the word of God and the message of Christ? Uh, well, we don't know how that works anymore than a farmer could tell you everything about how that seed produces a crop. Uh, but just like with the farmer, uh, we do our part and we pray that God would bless our efforts and he's promised that he will. Much like this tiny seed, this mustard seed, we may think, you know, I, I, I'm just not good at this, God. I, I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to do more harm than good. We give ourselves excuse after excuse after excuse, just like Moses gave to God at the burning bush when God had told him, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go. Moses said, no, I'm not your man. I don't talk good. I, I, I don't know your name. I, I'm not sure they're going to believe me. Excuse after excuse until finally he said, just send somebody else, God. And God said, nope, you're my man, Moses. You're going. And, and he did, and we know what a triumph that was because of the power of God, not the power of Moses. Forty years before, when he had tried uh, to demonstrate to his people that God was going to deliver them through him, and that's what Stephen says in his sermon in Acts chapter 7. Um, it, it was all Moses and not God, and, and it, was, it was a big flop and failure. And so he went and spent 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, and tried to figure some things out. And then at age 80, then he was ready uh, for God to call him to do exactly what he had wanted to do decades before. Well, um, we don't understand the power of God, but we do understand the promise of God. And we understand that God has promised that he will bless our efforts. That great passage in Isaiah chapter 55 where God promises, my word will not return to me empty, just like the rain comes down and does what I call it to do for the growth of the earth. Um, my word will not return to me empty, uh, but it will accomplish the purpose that I have given for it. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11, a great, great passage. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul writes, and he's talked for three chapters now about the preacheritis that they had in Corinth in modern-day Greece, because some said they followed Paul because he was such a great preacher, and he came and he baptized them, and Others said that they follow Peter. Others said that they follow Apollos, a preacher who apparently was even a better speaker than Paul was. Others said, I follow Christ. And I don't think that they were the right ones. I think they were just another group that was being sectarian uh, in who they said they followed. Um, I think none of those four groups had it exactly right. 
Um, but what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 is he asks us a couple of questions. He says, hey, was Paul, cru was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It is only Jesus that you are to, to follow and you're to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That's what he said it means to be a disciple in Luke chapter 9 and other places. Um, and so we, we get it. We get it. And as he as Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3 is talking about that, he says in chapter 3, look, quit fighting over your favorite preacher. <laughs> he said, look, I, Apollos and I, what are we? We're just, we're just fellow servants. We're just fellow workers in the vineyard of God. God is the farmer. He's the one that's sowing the seed, and he's the one that's making it grow. And so he explains that by saying this in that memorable passage in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. Apollos was a preacher who went uh, to Corinth after Paul had been there. Uh, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But it's God who makes it grow. It's God who gives the increase. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about in these kingdom parables here as well. It is God who makes things grow. We're blessed to be a part of his work. Uh, and what a great blessing that is. But it is still the work of God. It is still God who makes all things grow. So remember that, that spreading the gospel, sharing the word of God, uh, planting the seed, sowing the kingdom. We sing that great songs about those things. Um, but remember that it, it it's the work of God that we're in. And so we rely on God. We don't, we're not relying on ourselves. Uh, we are imperfect. We don't always do things well, uh, but God uses everything that we do uh, to bring about his will. Doesn't give us permission not to study, not to try, not to learn. Of course we're to do those things, but it's just to say that's not where the power is. Power is in the gospel. Power is in the Lord. And God says that if you'll do your part, believe me, I'll do mine and it'll be fine. And the spreading of my word will accomplish everything that I want it to accomplish. And it's a process. It's, it's a process that sometimes is long-term. Uh, Terry Rush, great preacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for so many years used to do, along with the late Marvin Phillips, the, the, uh, uh, the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop. Uh, great, great men of God. Uh, Terry Rush has said and written some things, um, wonderful DVD series about evangelism. And he says, look, it's a process. And just because someone says no to you this time doesn't mean that they're always going to say no because sometimes circumstances come up that make that ground a little more uh, inclined to receive the seed of the Word of God. So he says keep praying for them, uh, keep talking to God about them, and that will help you to talk to them about God. Great quote. Um, and be willing uh, to continue to uh, seek their uh, ear for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so before we go, uh, as we consider all these things and this great teaching on the parables, there'll be some more that'll come up, but it's such a great, uh, such a great method that, that Jesus uses. Very earthy, very simple, very memorable, uh, very challenging. If we will listen to the story and apply it to ourselves, then they're very challenging. We ask ourselves, what kind of ground am I? Am I the, the good ground? Or am I wrapped up in the things of this world and I'm more like the thorns? Have I really done my part to study and grow and mature in the faith? Or am I like that rocky ground that hasn't given myself an opportunity to have much foundation at all? And sure enough, when the difficult times come, it won't be enough. 
uh, to withstand the pressures? Um, those are very important questions for us to ask ourselves and to be very honest about where we are and then work towards being that good ground that produces a great crop for the Lord. Uh, and to remember that in all of our efforts, it is God who is going to shine that light where he wants it to shine. It is God who is going to grow that mustard seed in a miraculous way that even we don't understand into a great, great plant for his glory, not for ours, but for his. And so we, we share that message by faith. <clears throat> remember that as we do this, we share this story. And, and let's remember those words that Jesus talks about in verses 10 through 12. As he talks about um, that passage in Isaiah 6, when uh, Isaiah had a vision in the year that King Isaiah died, and Isaiah uh, had all of these things happening in the 700s BC, hundreds of years before Jesus. And as he does that, he sees God on the throne. And it's a very majestic scene. And he sees the angels and he hears the cry and God forgives him of his sin and doesn't cause him to die, even though he has seen God in this vision. And then God says, who will go for us? Who can we send? And that's when Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, okay, you're hired. But just know, just know that it's going to be a tough sell. I think people aren't just going to fall at your words and 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 be obedient to me. They're, they're not going to do that. It's going to be hard. There's going to be times when this people just doesn't get it. Uh, and I think that's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, the one who has ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, because it's, there is a part that the listeners play. There is a part that the soil plays in whether or not the crop is going to take. Um, this isn't always going to go like you expect it to. God told Isaiah and Jesus tells us. And you're not always going to be successful the way success is measured in human terms. But you be faithful in sharing my message. You plant the seed. You water it. You get that message out there. And God has promised. And he says, I will make it grow. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your super Sunday. And I hope that you have a super week in doing the Lord's will as well. God bless.